Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Youth and Culture podcast, where youth ministry and culture collide. I'm your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I am joined with my co-host, David Pinkham. And I am free. I'm a free man. I'm no longer in quarantine and life is good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so for those of you who, who missed uh, uh, our last episode, uh, David has actually been in quarantine uh, for a couple of weeks from from having the COVID. A couple of weeks, man. I was four days shy of a month. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my entire family came down with COVID uh, one at a time, two to three days apart. It was fantastic. There's eight of us in there. So the only one who didn't get it was the dog, and that's probably because his name is Spurgeon. So he's uh, <laughs> he's safe from stuff like that. But I am very happy to be back out into public. I finally got my oil changed 400 miles too late, and <laughs> I got to go to Sam's Club for the first time in forever. We have so many boxes, dude. We had so many things delivered while I was in quarantine. We could build a cardboard box fort. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so so yeah, I was know you're glad of being out of COVID and 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 we, we thought we were getting uh, most ministry wise, and we were we were hoping we were getting through COVID and getting to some kind of normalcy, but now we're entering entering uh, uh, almost seems like going backwards with uh, a lot of a lot of churches and a lot of areas, yeah, like going back to having masks and this COVID variant coming out and also trying to figure out how to do, think about the fall. How did, are we, should we do ministry on more online? Uh, should we do it in person? How does that look like? And so a lot of us are wrestling with that, uh, this last few months, uh, with COVID, with the surge of COVID. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I am not, I know it's, I know it's necessary to have masks, but I'm not a fan of masks. Because I'm I'm a mild asthmatic and I just feel restricted and <laughs> like I can't breathe and I have, sometimes I have to uh, like stand off the corner just to put my mask down so I can breathe a little bit and then put it back on. But anyway, not looking forward to it, but I know it's necessary to just keep people safe. Um, but I, I was really hoping for some normalcy, a little bit more normalcy this fall. Well, good news for me, I've never been normal, so. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I know it's it's frustrating. I, I was just talking to my youth leaders last night. We we meet on Zoom after eight o'clock because I have a ton of kids and we live in a rural area. So trying to find a central location for all of us to show up at the same time is a little bit of a bear. So Zoom has been our friend with that. But I, I told him that planning for this next year has been frustrating because it, there's a part of me that doesn't want to put a bunch of stuff on the calendar and then just have to slowly cancel it all as we go through the year. But and a little short tip for the day before we get to our interview. Uh, I would rather have a full calendar that has to be canceled one event at a time than have no calendar and have to make stuff up because, oh, we're suddenly free to do something. So I think I'd rather have, even though they're both kind of like ugh, situations, 
it's I think it's better to have the calendar figured out and uh, and have that in the parents' hands so that they at least know this is when we're hoping to do something. Here's an expectation. When we get there, we'll see how things are going and yay or nay. No, no, I agree. Uh, even during COVID, I did I do a year in, in advance calendar where I'm playing the entire entire year. And that my parents love that for the fact they can plan more effectively and more efficiently throughout the year. Um, I'm the same way. I'm looking at this next school year and I'm, I'm just planning. And if I have to cancel, I have to cancel and we'll, we'll work as it goes. I'm the same way. I can't, I cannot, I, I can't just not schedule, uh, events and activities for the year. I can't just show up with a blank slate. Just my brain doesn't work that way. Um, and I'm, so I'm the same way. Do I rather I rather just cancel than just mm-hmm. f- try to figure something out when we figure out that we can actually do something? Uh, so I'm the same. But well, I'm actually really excited for our interview today. We're actually be talking to uh, Brad Griffin. Uh, Brad and Kara Powell both co-authored um, a book called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager," and. Uh, and in this interview, Brad kind of breaks down what those big questions are and how uh, how we as youth leaders and how to be more effective and when it comes to students and making the most of our conversations and connections by answering these big questions. So stay tuned as we talk with Brad Griffin. guys i am super excited about our topic today and who we're actually going to be interviewing um is someone that i have heard lots about and haven't had opportunity to talk with and that is brad griffin so brad how about you kind of introduce yourself a little bit but maybe there's those who are listening who don't know who you are how about you introduce yourself a little bit your story and where you are today sure thanks ryan it's great to be here I am uh, a senior director at the Fuller Youth Institute. So we take research and we turn that into resources for youth leaders and parents of teenagers. And I also am a youth pastor uh, at my church. I've been doing youth ministry for uh, over a couple of decades. I originally grew up in Kentucky, but live in Southern California now. So. Um, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. I also am a parent of three teenagers, so <laughs> I'm, I kind of live this out on multiple levels all at once, which is a really, really fun and humbling experience. Yeah, so you and Kara Powell, y'all both came together and co-wrote um, three big questions that every teenage that uh, that change every teenager. Um, just the title itself is to me is an eye catching title, um, just because for me as, as a student pastor, as a youth pastor, um, also a parent for kids who one day will be teenagers. Um, I want to be the as successful in reaching them as much as possible and be effective. 
um, with them. So what are the three big questions that every teenager wants to find the answer to? Yeah, and, and thanks for framing the question that way. You know, I think, Ryan, we all want to do better with the teenagers in our life. And and that was a big motivation for us in writing this and in doing this research was we all want to connect more. We want to have stronger relationships, better connections, better conversations. And to do that, we really need to understand the teenagers in front of us. So the teenagers in front of us, every teenager is a walking bundle of questions. And we know this kind of intuitively as youth workers, you know, uh, we know those questions, they kind of change from student to student, from season to season, and, and everybody's a little different. But one of the things that we've explored in our research is that underneath all those questions, you know, the questions about who do I like and who likes me and, you know, the questions about sports, what am I good at? or um, you know, all those things that kind of roll around are three big questions. And those are, who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference can I make? So they're questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. And we think, ultimately, if, if we can internalize those three big questions, it opens up for us a lot of what we see and hear the teenagers in front of us, um, you know, asking or saying or doing, because so much of it is rooted in trying to find answers to those three. Okay, so, so you have these, these three questions, but how do teenagers tend to answer these questions? Yeah, and, and teenagers are all different. And so we went after this. Um, we, we listened to a diverse cross-section of students from across the U.S. Um, we surveyed over 2,000 teenagers. We looked at a lot of the latest research on Gen Z. And then we also sat with 27 students across a series of three interviews for up to two hours each. So with each of those, we, we listened to them for about six hours. It was really, it was really exciting. And out of that, we sort of distilled some, some key answers. Okay. So to this answer of identity, this question of identity, who am I? One of the answers that kind of bubbles to the top for most teenagers is I am what others expect. This idea that they carry the weight of, of expectations of others, this need to perform, the pressure to be what their parents want them to be, or their coaches, their teachers, their youth pastors. You know, it seems like everybody in their life has an agenda for them. And that is really hard when you're trying to figure out who you are to feel like you've got a answer that with what everyone else says and what everyone else expects. With that question of belonging of where do I fit, one of the, the answers that came to the top was, I fit where I feel safe to be me, um, where I feel comfortable, where I don't have to be fake. Uh, you know, so that belonging is, is really, really tied up with identity. Um, and, and we can get into that a, a little bit more kind of the connections between these. Um, but to then just briefly jump to purpose, and then, you know, we can circle back. This question of what difference can I make? 
um, purposes about our contribution to the world. And the biggest theme that we heard from students was around helping. I make a difference when I'm helping others. And helping can be really good, but it also can, it can be exhausting. You know, it can have a dark side too. Uh, if I'm really only defined by, if I'm only as useful as I can be useful to other people, um, mm -hmm. th then, you know, that can also turn into pressure and performance and, and some of those unhealthy things. Yeah, and there's a uh, kind of would like to dive a little bit maybe into identity into belonging because um, one thing that um, I'm sure that you've you know this and seen this as well, uh, being involved in youth ministry, also doing research, and this and this as well is that identity is such a big issue around uh, around the age of a teenager. Specifically, you look at junior high, you start entering this world in junior high, what identity, and it gets even, accelerates even more, even more stronger when you're getting high school. Of uh, who am I, what am I designed to do? Uh, you look at colleges, all, all this all other things as well. And I think that, uh, at least in my opinion, when you look at um, church history and you look at our culture, from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, before there was a such thing as social media, you still dealt with identity. But when social media, media entered the picture, that escalated, in my opinion, even more of figuring out who I am because you're exposed to so much more than you were before. Yeah. So, so can we, uh, I want to dive a little bit. How does that, uh, when it comes to social media, how does social media help or hurt young people's quest for identity and belonging and purpose that's a huge huge reality and you i mean you really hit the nail on the head i mean this isn't this is a whole new environment for today's students and one that most of us who care for them who work with them who lead them you know even for millennial youth workers who grew up in a, a semi-digital world, <laughs> this world is still so much different. And it's it's absolutely true that teenagers think about and feel pressure to work on their brand. And, and that's one of the ways that they think about their identity. You know, it, it was interesting, Ryan, among the students we talked to, um, there were a lot of different hobbies or like extracurricular activities they were all involved in, but the only one shared by all students we talked to was social media. They were all on social media. They were all on multiple platforms. Um, and, you know, there is this sense that teenagers are expected to advertise themselves. They are, um, you know, with the right brand identity, anybody can become internet famous and they're all looking for that like viral moment, you know, the, the video, the, the TikTok, whatever that is. And so it kind of turns into every moment is a broadcast opportunity. And when every moment is a broadcast opportunity, you think differently about yourself, you know, presentation, right? About what you say, what you do. Teenagers already, adolescence is already, um, a developmental phase when you feel like you're on a stage. That is one of the hallmarks of adolescence, that you feel like you're on a stage and like everyone's looking at you all the time. We have taken that reality and we've taken it like times 10 by 
literally putting them on a public stage. And it's not only a stage. I mean, so I was in theater in high school and I would stand on a stage in front of maybe, you know, a hundred or 200 people. That was a big deal, right? But now you can be from your bedroom broadcast to the world, right? <laughs> to the world. And that is a lot of pressure on a on a kid who's just trying to figure out well who am i and 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 teenagers another hallmark of adolescence is experimenting with identity and so who i am today you know might look different tomorrow and next week it might be totally different and now they're doing that on display for as broad as their reach right and, and they're very much they feel judged by that reach as well so you know the other thing they feel uh, on this front um is judgment from us about the ways that they're doing this so teenagers feel judgment and shame for the only world they've ever known and the world we've given them to to grow up in and that is a no-win situation so then you know quite honestly if we come at them with that judgment and shame even when we're trying to talk about social media then they feel like the people who are supposed to be on their side are actually um, you know just making it harder to figure out who they are in the midst of this swirl so i i think there's multiple things going on there you know and it, it's a social media is not um necessarily an evil it's not necessarily a um uh, you know, a source of all the problems of today's generation, but it is unmistakably tied up in all the work that they're trying to do to figure out the answers to those three big questions. It's just there. It's just like the water they're swimming in. Yeah. It's interesting that you talked to, you mentioned something that I never really have thought of, but it is, it is true of the, um, the shame factor of, uh, as us as leaders or parents trying to talk to teenagers uh, and students and talk about social media. And sometimes we're very harsh in how we talk about social media. Um, so that, that is very true because you, social media in itself, like you said, is not necessarily bad. It's how we use it determines if it's good or bad. Um, but it is interesting how social media is such a big factor when it comes to uh, information, broadcasting. You, you mentioned broadcasting. The pursuit of a platform is very huge in Generation Z, even in millennials to a, to a degree. It's, it's very big as well. Um, but Generation Z and now Gen Alpha that's coming up, all this is, is very much a, almost a priority in some ways. If you, you feel like you have to have some form of platform with, with social media. Uh, I can name even my own experience in the last few years, teenager after teenager, who either has a YouTube account doing YouTube stuff, um, who has Instagram um, account doing uh, certain things on Instagram to gather followers all these different things that teenagers feel like they have to have almost, I feel like they have to have a, a platform to be successful or whatever it is in life. And they have to have so many likes, so many followers on social media. Um, 
Now, do you now I have, of course, I have my opinion about social media that uh, specifically students, but do you feel like that aspect of pursuing a platform broadcast or broadcast media? Uh, do you think that has overall has had a negative effect on uh, students? I think it goes both ways. You know, it, it's really interesting in, in some of the recent research on um, on young people and the impact of ment of social media on mental health and you know on the belonging front what's interesting is that a recent study found that nearly 70 percent of teenagers who are active on social media say it's a source of support in tough times uh we can you know most of us can attest to this last year coming through the pandemic you know going into it there was this concern about teenagers and their devices. And then all of a sudden when they were isolated at home, it was like, thanks, thank goodness they have their devices. You know, <laughs> they, thank goodness they can connect to each other. So I think there's a very real sense that, that these, um, these spaces and tools can be a source of support, a source of connection. The research would also say that, that, um, Teenagers who feel alienated or like they don't connect with the peers around them, they they sometimes find these communities of support online. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, social media can be a source for bullying, for exclusion, for leaving kids out, and for feeling this sense of, um, um, yeah, being on the outside. So, so in a sense, it, it's helpful for us to think about social media as a it's an amplifier. It's an amplifier, just like it's, you know, the difference between me standing on stage and, and broadcasting, you know, on social media, performing, so to speak, on social media. Um, the same, you know, it's an amplifier. And so I think that's true around, does a teenager feel a sense of belonging or exclusion? That's just going to be amplified on social media. And, and actually, so then if we dig into anxiety a little bit, you know, that's uh, some of that research as well as showing that for students who feel normal levels of anxiety and depression, social media actually tends to be um, a, uh, you know, a helpful or supportive environment for them. For those who feel heightened levels of anxiety um, and, and depression, social media can be um, a, uh, a more dangerous place. And so, you know, it, it's sort of, again, it's kind of amplifying what they experience in real life in this environment. So that's, I mean, that's an overgeneralization, but maybe helpful for youth leaders to keep in mind, you know, the, the students who are feeling these really intense feelings or they already, you know, are struggling um, to know that, you know, hey, suggesting to them to maybe take a break of social media for a while, or, you know, I wonder, like, let's just go hang out. Encouraging them to be in real life spaces with other people can be a really helpful um, counter to that constant amplification. Um, and, and I think, I mean, you know, back to belonging and to purpose, you know, the more we can create environments where students have time away from their devices, um, it really can help them uh, counter the tendency to have the phone out all the time, you know, to record every moment, to, uh, to be constantly in touch 
or responding to the people they feel like they need to respond to. We, we actually give them an opportunity to kind of let themselves off the hook to be constantly on when, when we create these kind of alternative environments. So I, I'm very much in support of, of that, you know, as, as one of the, I guess, um, strategies for us as ministry leaders, you know, that we don't shame them for what, for that, for being so connected, but we also give them opportunities to take a break from it. Absolutely. So, so, um, how can churches utilize these questions, specific questions to better disciple and evangelize teenagers? Yeah, the, this is a big one because, you know, I talked about some of those narratives earlier, like, well, I am what others expect or, um, you know, I just have to follow the script or I only belong if I feel safe. Um, young people find all kinds of short-term answers to the questions. They find unsatisfying answers, sometimes toxic answers to the questions. And as we learn to listen for the questions and as we grow in empathizing with them, um, you know, really kind of stepping into their shoes, then we can take the next step to ask, well, what does the good news of Jesus say in response to these big questions? And as people of the good news, you know, we can see and we can tell stories about in our own life and in the life of the church and the life of, of the people of God that, uh, that there are really powerful Christ-centered answers to these questions of who am I? And where do I belong and what difference can I make? And so uh, actually discipleship can be about helping them find those answers to the big questions. Um, I, we like to think of discipleship as our everyday yes to Jesus, our everyday yes to Jesus. And so the church can put flesh on better answers to those big questions by the ways we live out that everyday yes to Jesus. So, um, you know, we're thinking about questions like, for example, this question of, of who am I and, and, and that false answer of having to live up to everybody else's expectations and, and I have to be what everybody else expects me to be. Well, a Jesus-centered response to that is something like, no, I, I am enough. Because of Jesus, I am enough. And God has said that I'm made in God's image, that I'm a child of God. Um, you know, Jesus has called me brother or sister. Jesus has said that I don't have to just try hard to be what everybody else wants me to be, um, that I can live into the grace and the, the beauty of what's offered me by God, right? And, and this full, abundant life. That's a different narrative. And, and so those different narratives, those, those stories of how we live as the people of God, um, that becomes then an alternative way that young people go after the big questions. Uh, you, you know, we think about belonging and what it really means to be with God and with God's people, to, to belong no matter what. Um, we've got a good answer to that question. <laughs> you know, um, we, we can lead young people into a, into a bigger narrative of purpose that's about God's story and being part of God's story. So I think we have not just answers in the simplistic sense of, you, you know, we want to be giving those answers, but we want to 
discipleship is walking with young people towards discovering those answers that are found in in the in life with God. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you what you said. I absolutely agree with, and it's 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 walking alongside a student. Um, I think back. Um, I don't. This is maybe I'm speaking from a southern perspective. Uh, the idea of walking alongside students was not a thing, not a as much of a thing until the probably say about 10, 15 years ago, like really emphasized. Uh, a lot of youth ministry was just going to a large group setting. Uh, it cha- it's changed over the last 20 or 30 years, 40 years, but it's been pre- predominantly the same. You go into a large group setting, you hear, uh, hear a speaker, you sit in seats, lecture style. And it's made it's changed a little bit to where you do small groups now afterwards, or you have a light show or music or and so it's changed a little bit, but it's predominantly the same. Um, and this, what you said is, is so true. And I think, I think it's in some ways is the reason why we've seen the last from millennials slowly all the way to, to Gen Z that every generation is coming up as being the least reached people, uh, age group generation gap. And it's getting worse for every generation. Uh, in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion. I don't know if there's any research necessarily backing this up, but I really do believe it's because we we lost the factor of living life on life. Mm. Um, in the last 30 years, it's been mostly uh, preaching at instead of living life on life. And what you said, it's, it's hitting the nail on the head for me when it comes to the model, a true model of discipleship that we should be in the church at large and also especially in uh, student ministry and youth ministries as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, have, I have a story about that, Ryan. So that reminds me of a youth worker named Damon, who I met at a, uh, a, a training event. And Damon told a story about um, getting a text from a student, we'll call him Noah, 15-year-old. And, you know, Noah reached out and just said, what am I good at? That was the text. What am I good at? And it, it caught Damon off guard. Um, and he, so he just shot back a list, you know, he wanted to affirm him, like, you're good at, at this and that you're good at relating to people. Um, you know, you're an artist, you're a sharp student and, and Noah shot back. Uh, I don't, I don't really have any real talent. And so name it, Damon tried again, you know, he sent more affirmation <laughs> and this kind of went back and forth, you know, and, and Noah closed the conversation with just. I just want to know why I'm not enough right now. And that was the end. And Damon, you know, he'd been a youth worker for years, but he was just like thrown off. You know, what happened here? And he showed this text stream to uh, one of his friends in ministry. And and his friend said, you know, you missed it. You were just trying to fix him. And what he really needed was somebody who would listen to what he was actually going through, to what he was actually feeling. Um, Noah didn't feel heard. And Damon realized he had moved into, into ministry mode of, you know, fix, give quick answers, um, do all the all those kind of ministry things. And he realized that he really needed to listen to, to the kid in front of him, you know, and wrestle with those questions and hear him and do that, you know, actual like, 
life connection relationship work with one student in front of him and really listen and not just try to be the youth pastor who has all the easy answers, who runs the programs, you know, um, and, and, and seeing that light bulb come on, like, okay, relationship, listening, you know, this is really at the heart of what youth ministry is about. And, and we can't, you know, we can't put a light show around that. Like we, we can't, we can't just cover over that by having really good teaching or, or, or good music. Um, it takes it takes knowing the kid in front of us you know it takes training the volunteers around us to really listen to know how to respond to those texts that they get with you know hey tell me more about that um and i think that's i think helping each other listen for these three big questions under the questions can really help us get back to that kind of ministry again uh, absolutely one thing that i really do believe that covid it's been a blessing in disguise when it comes to ministry as a whole, but specifically youth ministries, that it is it's caused us to to swing back to relational ministry. Um, yes. For for so long, uh, it's in, at least in my context, uh, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of youth leaders I've been talk, speaking to in the last year, it's been a lot of programming, programming, programming. But when you have COVID, there is no programming. Uh, it's it all turns into mostly relational ministry. So COVID, and again, if 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 youth leaders and youth pastors, if they stick to the good stuff that COVID revealed, which is the relational part of it, and keep that as a part, an integrated part in their ministry, discipleship and, and student ministries of churches would go to another level, in my opinion, from what I see. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So Brad, uh, if, if someone wants to get in connected with you either to uh, learn more about this topic, a little more about uh, this new book that you and Kira Powell are rolling out. How can they get connected with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, th- the best thing to do to find out about the book is to go to threebigquestionsbook.com and you can download a free chapter. You can find out all the places you can buy the book. Um, so that is, you know, the really the best thing to do is go to threebigquestionsbook.com. You can also connect with me on social media um, at B Griffin, FYI. Well, Brad, I just want to thank you for taking your time to come on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. Fun conversation. Well, guys, I am super thankful for Brad and uh, for his heart. And I, I'm super thankful for him and uh, Kara Powell and really pouring in writing this book. Because uh, it really, uh, I actually have it on my desk right now and I'm going through it. Uh, finishing it up and I really have enjoyed reading this book and learning how to be more effective when it comes to uh, answering certain questions uh, with my students. Yeah, I uh, I found a lot of what he had to say very helpful. Um, I, I think that this could very easily expand into a much longer conversation as we go into a lot more depth in a couple of the issues. And, and I, I do want to to put this out here, I talked about this with Ryan uh, before we recorded today, but uh, when it comes to teenagers and social media, um, I think there's a lot that we can glean from the world of psychology uh, when it comes to some of this information. And uh, there is an aspect of this where, uh, and I will, I guess, trick is this where I say trigger warning? I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> for those of you who may be triggered easily, uh, I am of the opinion that teenagers should not have smartphones, smartphones or be on social media um, because there is a general, and I know this is a generalization, but there is a generally a severe lack of emotional maturity for them to be able to handle it. And I think even in our generation, the millennials, we still have a severe lack of emotional maturity when it comes to social media. And you can guys, you guys can see that. Um, I know several of our listeners are in several different youth pastor groups on Facebook that I'm also in. And you guys have sat back and watched the dumpster fires come and go. Um, and people yell and scream at each other. And we're full grown adults that are supposed to be discipling teenagers towards Jesus. So you can only imagine the stability that they're living with and, and the unknowns uh, that we don't have a clue what they're dealing with in their homes and in their schools and their interpersonal relationships and adding in, uh, especially like the, this, this uh, what Brad talked about, like this branding idea of like, you, you are who you are, but then who are you online? What is your brand? What is, what is the Ryan Sebastian brand? <laughs> what is the David Pinkham brand? Like, I don't care. I'm on Facebook because my mom doesn't live with us and she needs to see the grandkids. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 you know, you're talking about social media. Too. I, I am under the opinion uh, that uh, it's okay for students that have social media and devices when they're uh, mature enough to have those things. Um, I would. I'm on the opinion that if you're a middle, if you're a middle schooler, uh, you do not have the maturity to handle social media, or even a, even a smartphone. I know a lot of people would disagree with me with that, uh, but there's a lot of research that that kind of that kind of supports that um, as well. But by the time you get in high school, okay, you can start, start more making of an argument when it comes to maturity because the fact is, when a student gets in high school. Um, you have to give them a little bit more freedom. Um, that's part of the developing and becoming an adult to where they can make decisions on their own. So there needs to be some of that freedom uh, in high school. So, I, so where I do think that social media can, and that could be naturally destructive um, if you're not careful, but I do think that as, as a teenager, I think, think it's maturity, depends on maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I, that's I'm different say, for everybody. Yeah, it's different for kid to kid. I, I have two two sons, and uh, both of them are in different maturity levels, and I have to kind of gauge that uh, when it comes to devices when they're older. Is is that is for that as well? Just like anything else, is is comes responsibility and things like that with your kids um, has to do with their maturity level. Yeah, I mean, Uncle Ben was right. With great power comes great responsibility. So you know. Uh, that smartphone in their pocket has a lot of power, um, a lot of power. So uh, we want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast today. Uh, we are thrilled to just be able to do this. Uh, it's a fantastic learning opportunity. Even if Ryan and I are the only ones listening and, and learning, it's, it's fantastic. But if you haven't yet, please take some time to leave a comment or a star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this allows us to get our content out to more youth workers who are looking for help. Uh, and it'll keep us near the top of the search bar so that they can find some good, relevant, solid content. Uh, if there is a topic that you'd like to hear that we haven't covered, or maybe we covered it pre-COVID and COVID has flipped it on its head and now there's no clue on how to handle something, we'd love to hear uh, about that from you. 
and, and there's multiple ways for you to reach out to us. We have a Facebook page. Uh, we also have a Facebook group, the Youth and Culture Facebook group. We'd love for you to join that, to uh, chat us there, to ask a question, engage on this topic on social. Talk about social media and teenagers on social media with other youth workers. There you go. Um, and we love to engage you there. And uh, just want to thank you guys so much uh, for the opportunity to, to do this for you. And uh, we'd love to connect with you soon. Well, guys, stay tuned for our next episode.